And the Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series goes to Ted Lasso. The audio clip or the video clip that we just watched, you know, listening at the beginning of this episode is from the 2022 uh, Emmy Award ceremony where Ted Lasso was awarded as Best Comedy TV Show of the Year. And it's a very good reason why we start with this audio clip is to celebrate the amazing work of our guests today. Do I'm excited? Tell me about it. I'm freaking out because not only I'm a very, very big fan of the Lasso, but I'm also a big fan of visual storytelling and of course directing. And we have today one of the directors for the Lasso who also won an Emmy Award for his amazing job in this TV show. The clan Launi is in the house, or in this case, like I always say, is in the basement. He's in California. I'm here in my basement under a lot of snow. He probably is just having a really good margarita under a palm tree, but that is the beauty of the digital era, right? I can be in my basement in Syracuse, New York, and I can be having a conversation with the clan in California. So before we start this conversation about not only Ted Lasso, but TV uh, directing and careers, let me take the time to thank, of course, WC and Y PBS in Central New York for their partnership. And thanks to that partnership that we can come to you every two weeks. Thank you again, WCNY, for the trust. And I want to thank, of course, you, the audience, for the love and the good energy. It's thanks to that love that we keep going and putting the hard work to bring you this crazy adventure called from Suarez Basement. If you are new to the family, welcome. I want to remind you, you can go to www.wfsbasement.com where you can go and swim in a pool of knowledge with all the cool episodes that we have with experts in the communication, media, and the art. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, the Clan Launi, for being with us. Let's start this new episode from Suarez Basement. Right, here we go. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us in my basement, uh, which is a weird space to meet, but this is the beauty of of electronic media and, and digital media, right? And now we can meet you. Are, you are in LA, right? I'm in, in Venice Beach. There we go. Nice. And I'm here in, in, in Syracuse, New York. Uh, I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, the students appreciate this very much. And of course, the audience. Uh, Decline, let's let's talk about way back. Do you remember a moment or memory where you were doing these short films and, and you realized, wow, this is something that I really want to be involved? Well, um, um, yeah, I used to love movies and I love escapism. And there was a, a, a movie theater around the corner from us in a, in a lane way called Cinema Lane, funnily enough, and Saturday afternoons, we would spend our time in there watching Westerns and then come out and gallop up the street as if we were on horses. I mean, I was 24 at the time, so I probably should have moved. No, I know it was just when I was, <laughs> but um, my uncle, my uncle traveled a lot. He was a chef and worked internationally and he came back to our town one time with a super eight film camera. Now this is before video. This is 1969, maybe 1970. And I was nine or 10 and he made a vampire movie. Um, called The Death of the Baroness, and he cast himself as the vampire. And it was pretty, pretty, you know, grotesque stuff, a lot of blood and teeth and all this stuff. But it was, uh, and in its own way, it was very kind of camp and funny, but it didn't mean to be funny. Um, but I remember 
I remember it was so it was so gross that I wasn't let see it. But I know he rented the hole down the down the street from us and put it on there for a week. And I sneaked in to watch. And he had his Super A projector and a cassette player and press go on both at the same time. And you got you know it was a fifty minute film, you know, with some lip sync in it, sort of. But I was I would just I was amazed how people just sat in the dark and watched this thing and took it all in and laughed and about this and did all the you know did all the right stuff. And and just thinking that's that's really fun thing to do. So I really wanted to make films, and he got bored with the camera and left uh, around. And I picked it up and I made started making some very simple stop frame animations. You know, you take a frame, you move the thing, you take a frame, you yep. things. I could make things move around on their own, and I was going wow. So um, about fifteen or sixteen, I entered a national competition. And uh, I won prizes. In fact, they 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 called my mom saying, we'd like to speak to your husband because he's just won a competition. And she said, no, my husband doesn't make films, but my son. <laughs> and they were very impressed that a 14-year-old, 15-year-old could do that sort of thing. So that was my entree, if you like. It is awesome. Well, you remind me of my own childhood. Uh, we are in different, I, you were in the 60s, I was born in the 70s. So Star Wars was my thing. Like, oh, so sorry. I used to... Uh, collect the figurines of Star Wars and I used to do a slow, you know, frame by frame movement. Uh, one time I almost burned my entire house because I want to do, uh, uh, you know, this scene with fire. And well, anyway, uh, I, I keep rolling. The, fire, the house was on fire and I found it fascinating. I was like, this is awesome. This is fantastic. My parents know that much, but um, I, I was in love since I was a kid with the idea of visual storytelling. It's so powerful. Uh, right, and you uh, it started with with your films. Then you moved to television. You were in charge of one of Europe's most watched television shows ever, uh, which is Eurovision. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that happened and how you prepare for something so huge. Well, I knew when I came out of school, I mean, there was no such thing as film school in those days. It hadn't been invented. Um, and so I came out of school and went straight. To, I mean, I, I grew up in a small town in Ireland. So I went to Dublin straight away and worked for a film editor. And I trained about how to use a steam bex, syncing up brushes, cutting film, cutting soundtrack, wearing gloves, all that stuff. Um, uh, then I made a short film. Uh, professionally you know on 16 mil and I won a big prize at the Cork Film Festival and I got into Irish TV so I trained from you know trainee assistant film editor assistant film editor film editor but it was still 16 mil film in those days before video and I eventually got a job as a producer and director every five years RT would train a dozen people to become producing the next generation and I was one of the youngest that had ever gotten onto the course and because I was young they put me into kids shows so I ended up directing a lot of live multi-camera studio, you know, the three-hour Saturday morning kids show that was live. And on that, we would have a lot of bands would come into the studio and play. So I got a skill for shooting music. Um, and then I had my own music show on Irish TV. So when we won the Eurovision in 87, everybody wanted to shake Eurovision up. It was quite a staid, quite a mm -hmm. dull show. So they gave it to me. And I kind of reinvented Eurovision Song Contest. I made it much shorter. I got rid of a lot of the boring shit, you know, went digital story, story uh, scoreboards mm -hmm. and just introduced a lot of new stuff that Eurovision hadn't done. I mean, now when you see Eurovision, it's such an amazing spectacular because lighting and video imagery has changed so much in those years. 
But it, it was at a time when people wanted change and I happened to be in the right place at the right time. So yeah, I was 28 years old when I- Are you seeing, are you seeing to me one of those persons who like changing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can yeah, see. I fire, like. And you, uh, you being able to cross over between uh, movies, uh, you're very well known for movies in the UK, uh, and then television. Yes. As a director, What do you think is the difference when you're going to direct to, uh, uh, you know, two hours, three hours movie to what is an episodic uh, TV show? I mean, I, I, I couldn't claim to have done enough movies to, you know, I know as a director, for example, um, last week, Ted Lasso premiered at a cinema here and we all sat in the cinema and watched the first two episodes. And to see it on a big screen is so fantastic. It sounds so good, looks so good. But I was very aware that the close-ups we shoot for TV On a cinema screen, wow, they're they're huge. Mm. And on TV, we use close-ups a lot. You know, when people are having a snappy conversation in comedy, you might go between singles. And you wouldn't do that in a movie, perhaps. You might hold it on a two-shot more and let things happen in real time instead of cutting. But on TV, often to get impact from a person's face, we go in here rather than there. Mm -hmm. Movie, you just wouldn't you wouldn't use as many close-ups and you mightn't cut them so quick because seeing that on a big screen is like, whoa. <laughs> is length. I mean, I, you know, I think the ideal length for a movie, and I'm particularly interested in comedy, is 90 to 100 minutes. And when a movie, as a lot of them do these days, is running two and a half, three hours, you go, wow, when do we go to the bathroom? It's, you know, it's a huge amount of people's attention to take. And as a filmmaker, you got to go, I'm going to lose people here. Um, so TV is simpler because the you know the comedies tend to be a half hour. So it's, although Ted Lasso is not obeying that rule at all, um, yeah, half hours are a lot easier to handle, I guess. Well, I'm, and of course, I mean, you mentioned Ted Lasso watched the first episode last night of the third season. I don't know what is it, you know, it's, it's incredible to me how a show can become such a, a oasis, a, a place for peace and, and feeling good uh, in a moment where everything seems so incredibly uh, bizarre and, and, you know, and we are. Uh, it's funny because we were waiting for the third season now, and I was thinking, oh, I need, uh, I need my Ted Lasso. Where is Ted Lasso coming? Where? What do you think is so special about this show? Um. Well, I I think it's a different sort of comedy where nobody is really the butt of the joke. You know, a lot of comedy could be cruel. You know, if you go back five or six years, I mean, Ricky Gervais was brilliant at presenting the Golden Globes. But a lot of the jokes, they're at somebody's expense. Somebody is being laughed at. The comedy in Ted Lasso isn't like that. The people themselves are funny or they do something daft and we laugh at them. But we laugh at them because you identify with the situation, you identify with their pain or what it is they're going through. And we find comfort and humor in that. And I think that's a huge part of the success of that show is it's warm comedy. It's not laughing at people. We're kind of all in on the joke together and nobody is the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of why it's been so successful. It also came at such a perfect time. You know, had we not been in the middle of the pandemic when Ted Lasso season one landed, maybe people wouldn't have taken to it the same, but people wanted some warmth. It's like a, a weighted blanket. You know, those yeah. that's what Ted Lasso is like. It's like cuddling up under one of those. And a lot of comedy before that 
wasn't like that. Now, of course, everybody's trying to make comedy like that. Everyone's bending over backwards to, can you make it a bit more Ted Lasso? Where's the <laughs> Ted Lasso thing? You know, everyone's looking for that now. So I think it's a shift, which is great. And I think Ted Lasso was at a right place at the right time to, to take advantage of that shift, you know, to, to capitalize on it. Yeah. And how, how do you approach Ted Lasso? I mean, as a director, what is you looking for? What uh, We're going to talk, of course, about your Emmy uh, winning, which is congratulations, and I can see in the back of of, of the wall Ooh. over there. Uh, oh, hi, Emmy. <laughs> she is there. Just uh, <laughs> she, he, or they? We don't. Is is there? Is 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 holding the ball? Um, so you won uh, Emmy for Ted Lasso as a director. How do you approach Ted Lasso? What is that you looking for? How do you work with the actors, and not only with the actors, but cinematography and and, and set design and things like that? Well. And um, not to not to put down what we do there, but on, on a TV show where there are multiple directors, I yes, you know we are following a pattern, and really that pattern is set way back from episode one of the first season. There's a style established there. Then obviously that director moves on, but the directors of photography stay with the show and the production designer. So they are often your sounding board of you know as a director you turn up, you've got ten days to prepare your two episodes then three weeks to shoot your two episodes. So in those 10 days, A, you go and hang out at the set and watch what the previous director is doing. You get to meet the actors. And also you work with your GP starting to plan your shoot. But you can't suddenly go, you know what, let's just do it all like this and let's do it all like this and let's shoot a handheld. You know, you kind of got to stick with of course. the show's format. Mm -hmm. But then occasionally the script wants something different and Jason in particular will ask you to do something different. Um, I shot, I directed the Christmas episode in season two and there's, Jason had a, a there's a silent movie, a French silent movie from 1920, which I think was called Wings. Or was it Wings of Desire? But in, in it, there was a tracking shot in a restaurant that went across a lot of tables. And the technique was that the camera would move up to a table, then the actors would step out of the way and the table was sawn in half so they could pull the table out of the way and the camera would keep going. Nowadays, we would use a crane, but those mm -hmm. telescopic cranes didn't exist in those days. But he had this clip in mind, and this was the basis for the big gathering at Higgins' house. Higgins had 20 of the players come around, and they put a table and a surfboard and a billiard table. They put a load of things together to make a big, long table. And then we took the window out of the house and put a camera crane the length of the table and then came back to replicate the shot he'd shown me in that film. So Jason is... You know, he has an encyclopedic knowledge of film and everything, to be honest. The guy knows so much in that brain, but he would turn up with references. He said, I like it. I want to be like this. When I wrote this, here's what I had in mind. Mm -hmm. This whole episode is based on this shot. So then you work on that and then you work backwards from that to create everything else that fits around it. But he is, you know, he is like a creative director for that show. He has such huge knowledge and he does write his he writes things with references in mind and he's always able to go, hey, look at this, look at mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, he is like a movie director in that regard. So there's always, when you're directing a TV show, there's always, there's always a godlike figure standing behind you in the background with overall guidance. And you're hired as a director to fit into that routine, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can do your own stuff and you can try the odd crazy thing, but you discuss it beforehand. You don't just turn up today and go, hey, everyone, we're going to do it like this. It's all got to be talked about and planned in advance because you've also got to shoot five or six minutes a day or five or six pages a day. You know, you have a schedule to do. Some days it's a complicated thing. We've only got to shoot two pages today. 
but because I only shot two pages today, then tomorrow I've got to shoot eight pages. Mm -hmm. So it's a constant, you know, as a director, you're constantly going, what could be funky and cool to do for the scene? But also, how am I going to get through this? I've got 20 more setups and I've got four hours. Right. Let's do it all in a wide shot. (laughs) 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 You've got to cut your cloth to fit. Do you work uh, at the clinic? Well, I have two questions I'm sure the, the, the listeners are asking, which is... Why? Why is in the television industry this thing about directors switch uh, and not having a, a one director to take care of one complete season? I know certain shows do that, but the norm yeah. is that you know you switch directors during a season. What do you think that is the case? Well, a TV that runs more than 10 or 12 episodes for one director to do that would be a huge amount of prep, and. If I was to turn up to do so Ted Lasso season two, we shot for 110 days. Season three, I think it went to 130 days. So if you're going to shoot for 130 days, you need to have those scripts about four months before you start shooting. So you can time to go through each script. Mm-hmm. And Ted Lasso is being written as we shoot very often. You know, and Jason's background was on Saturday Night Live where you kept writing until it was, oh, we're on air. You know, and so there is that mentality with Jason and the other writers that there is a, we can make this better. Let's keep working. Let's keep working. The director wants to know what we're shooting tomorrow. Well, it'll be roughly this, but let's keep writing. Let's keep writing. So there were times when you turn up for work and you don't know quite what you're shooting today. You'll have the shape of it, but the dialogue will come. And that's tough on the actors. It's tough on everybody, but it keeps you on your toes. But it does mean it would be impossible to start shooting for for a hundred days, not knowing what you're going to be shooting, you know, you'd have to stop every two or three weeks to catch up on the scripts and then start again, and that doesn't make sense financially. Mm. It's a huge machine, and we have maybe three hundred people on the crew of Ted Lasso between the studio and all the prep that goes on. And so once that wheel starts turning, you've got to mm. keep feeding it pages and pages and feed them directors and directors. So you do have that's why TV, you know, it's a machine. It's a, like a it is like a conveyor belt. But that's why you need multiple directors, you know, on a, on a, on a six parter for six half hours and you've got the scripts done in advance, then it is possible for one person to do the whole thing. But when it's this weight and volume of stuff, that would be a tough mm. call for any one person to direct. And for the fans of Ted Lasso, like me uh, and my family, um, give us a little bit of a scoop in the sense that a lot of people are asking me when I they knew that I was going to have this conversation with you, like, oh, we want to know, for example, how much is digital creation? Are these stadiums really full of people? Uh, are the studios close to a soccer field so you can move between the studio and the soccer field? How, how that, how, how that behind-the-scenes work? That's exactly it. We, we we chose a film studio in West London where we had four stages and literally 100 yards away, there was a football field. It's, it's a lower British league soccer team had a football ground with a small stand. So when you see the training pitch, that's that pitch. And you see stands there. Where, so that's the actual pitch. Mm-hmm. Built in the studio, Rebecca's office with a window, which is a blue screen, but that's supposed to be overlooking the pitch. So when we shoot scenes on the pitch, we then put a camera up there to shoot her point of view. And we put that shot into the windows of her office. But then when we shoot the actual football games, we work on the same piece of grass, but we wrap a green screen the whole way around the football mm-hmm. pitch. And then everything else is put in afterwards. For the most part, the actors do play. They play pretty much in real time. So they're rehearsed separately with a a couple of football experts. Um, Sometimes 
Sometimes the ball is put in afterwards. Sometimes it's easier not to kick a ball, but to rehearse as if you're kicking a ball, which means everyone's got to be going, you know, they're very well choreographed. But sometimes the ball's put in afterwards. Sometimes it's all t- totally for real. But the stadium is always put in afterwards. Well, and I think I think that's the thing. This is not only about acting. This is about choreography. You know, it's a choreography. You have to make us believe that this game is really happening and that it's excitement in the game and that the ball was passed. And that's a hard thing to do. It is tough. And those guys, the actors are really, really good at doing it. And they'll do their own stunts and falls and stuff like that. But all that stuff is very well worked out in advance. Also on season two, we brought in a football director specifically to just shoot the football. And so what tends to happen is once we've shot five or six episodes, then we take three or four days and shoot all the football inserts for those five episodes. So the directors who direct the episodes don't direct the football sequences. That's looked after by a second director who does football under the supervision of the director. But it is complex and so time consuming. I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and I want four or five camera teams shooting at that, you know. So it's a lot of it's a huge amount of crew for those days. I'm sure. And I want to switch gears a little bit in the sense that I could be here talking about the lasso the entire day because it's definitely, um, you know, one of the my favorite shows uh, at this point. But let's talk about uh, uh, stream media, digitalization of the media, the opportunities that are out there now for students, not only in my class, but students everywhere that feel now that the window is a little uh, bigger, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That that was maybe 10 years ago when you need to go to a very narrow uh, space to try to find uh, someone to listen to your script. Now seems to be like an open season, Um, which is in some part very good because we can get shows like Ted Lasso and many other ones. But at the same time, it seems that we are oversaturating you know, the, the stream media with a lot of other really bad content. Doesn't matter, everybody has his own his own process. Um how anybody who is listening to this podcast who has an idea, who 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 put an idea together, who write a script, how to make it? How, what what is the path to to that point where you would say, okay, I can be in front of uh, a TV director or a Netflix executive of uh, Apple TV executive um, pitch my show. Yeah, um, I I don't think it's ever been easy. I think it's never been easier. In fact, to make something because when I started, you know, you had your one reel of film, and if you wanted to show that in Australia or someplace, that piece of film had to go there and then come back. And then, now you can shoot anybody can shoot their own film on their iPhone, and you can edit it on your laptop, and you can do a pretty good job. And so anybody can make a 90-second or a three-minute proof of concept of their idea. Maybe you don't even have to shoot it. Maybe you take clips from other movies and you put them together in a clever way and you revoice the dialogue or something. But there are there are very clever ways of creating, you know, a proof of concept. Proof of concept is, you know, a two or three-minute short version of what it is you want to make. So if you've got an idea and you can write the idea, and then you can come up with a clever way of making that look irresistible to somebody. That's how shows get made, you know, and streaming is a huge, has a huge appetite. It needs a lot of volume. It needs material. So every producer is desperate for scripts. Everybody wants the next great idea. So if you have the next great idea, believe me, there is an audience and a market out there for it. You've just got to do something that shows people what it is what your intention is and also everybody's looking for something a bit different (laughs) so you know the more original or unique or special and 
streaming also, you know, streaming is the the audience is huge for streaming, but they don't mind niche things. You know, Netflix makes so many different things. Obviously, not everybody watches everything, but there are people who find their teen comedy, they find who find their romance, their vampire thing, their you know, that those niche markets are all served by Netflix. I mean, Netflix makes so much stuff. I, I sometimes think the quality of that stuff isn't amazing because they're making so much of it, it can't possibly be shepherded well to completion. But, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there as well. And there are so many places you can go. So if Netflix say no, you go to Amazon, you go to Hulu, you go to Apple, you go to Peacock. I think streaming has opened opened things up massively to people. So I think anybody who's smart enough to have a great idea and a phone, go make something, do something. It's, it is so democratic, isn't it? It's never, right. been, you know, if you have a voice, you'll find someone to hear it. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is your... Your secret to success, uh, and of course, we we define success in, in many different ways. But when you see your your career, and suddenly you realize, wow, I'm I'm you know I won my Emmy. I, I'm working in a show that I feel very connected to it. What what do you think is is that secret? Um, I think I've been very lucky to be in the right place at the right time, and I think I came on stream at a time when a young cocky guy who had great ideas was maybe a little more unusual. And I got a hearing more easily, perhaps. And I realize now that there's every there's, you know 10,000 people trying to get into this business every day, and it is much harder. Um, but also, you know, I'm I'm getting on. I've been at this for more than 40 years. Uh, it has taken a long time. It wasn't an overnight success. Um, but I also persevered. Um, and I've been lucky to always been able, you know, I've always been made money doing my job. So I've, you know. But as you become more successful, you also get to pick and choose a bit more. And something like Ted Lasso, the success of that has made it a bit easier for me. But, you know, I've, I've, it's March. I haven't worked since December. And now I'm busy for the next month or six weeks. You never know what it's this freelance business. Right. You never know what's going to come next. Um, I've also, because I came up in the business, I do have an understanding of what everybody on the set does and everybody's how people feel. And I think people who've come into the business not having gone through the ranks themselves may not appreciate the effort and the contribution that your crew makes. I am very respectful of that. And I also go, there are times when that guy over there sitting in the corner has an idea and he just says something, fuck me, that's how to shoot the scene. Let's do that. You know, you have to, I don't, I, I think it's to do with not having much of an ego. Mm-hmm. And then the Irish thing as well, but you know, Irish people, tend not to be arrogant and cocky <laughs> to that extent in some ways you know we are um well maybe it's an individual personality thing but I, i've never had that much of an ego and i've always been happy to go actually i see what you mean i'm wrong let's do it that way instead and you know i'm i am a team player and i think well, i think i think you are a very uh, you have a tit lasso on you me <laughs> 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 you know it's, it's very important and finally, what distinguishes a good story from a bad story from the perspective of somebody like you who has the opportunity to direct so many amazing TV shows? You get a script and you read it. What is what you're looking for when you say this is a good story? This is not such a good story. TV is a little harder to tell. I mean, with a movie script, and I am pitching on movies at the moment, um, I read 15 pages of 90 or 120 pages, say the script is, if by 15, I'd have pushed 20 pages, if by then I'm not engaged 
Nothing's going to suddenly happen after 25 minutes as McConaughey and go, oh, brilliant. I've left the theater. I've moved on to another channel. Engagement. And I always go, uh, I'm always looking for something that's original that I haven't read before. And that's difficult. You know, it is difficult, but you can do it. Uh, with TV, it's a little harder because you've got to try and think what's the person saying across the whole season. But always it's originality. It's something that I haven't seen before or something I've seen before, but it's a ma- presented in a different way or in a unique way. I think a unique voice. Do something clever in the first 10 pages mm-hmm. to engage the audience and pull us in. If you're not doing that, it's like, no, no, no. Right, right. Yeah, uh, and, and it's not easy, but it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a, a DJ script writing for television and, you know, it's, it's a, it yeah. sounds it's easy, not- but it is, it's complicated. Yeah. And that's, you know, you, you, the evidence is on TV every night. You can tell the stuff that's not that great. Yes. And you go, wow, Ted Lasso. Wow, the big door prize, which is my next show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I think, again, the whole digital and stream media has allowed... Uh, viewers to become a little more uh, aware and, yes. and, and selective. Yeah, and sophisticated. As right. Audience, you know. If you don't go me in the first episode, sometimes actually, or you get me in the first, second episode, and suddenly in the third episode, I'm like, what happened? Like, why is this story going? Um, which is sad because you reinvest, you know, a couple yes, of hours. Already, yeah, you never get those hours back. <laughs> Nicolas, thank you so much for being with us here in Ron Suarez's basement. And and uh, I, I wish you just all the best, all the success that you are at, having in these days in your life. And, you know, and thank you really for taking the time to talk to us. It's been wonderful to talk to you and thank you so much. And if you never need to chat again, please come back. I'm always here. But I do like, you know, I like to encourage and help people getting into the business. Uh, People helped me a lot when I was 17 or 18. And without that encouragement, I wouldn't be here.